Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is a practical show because I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I do once in a while talk about what might be coming in the future as I see it or as my guest sees it. And that's kind of what this information is about that's going to be on this episode. I don't normally get into big conspiracy theories. I don't think this is one of those conspiracy theories. This is a common sense discussion that I had with my guest, and I'll talk about him coming up. But thank you for tuning in, folks. This is episode number 202, and... uh, a lot of uh, good stuff happening here at uh, today's Survival Show. I've been getting a lot of forum members signing up. Love to have you join our internet forum. It's a small one, but it's a good one. And we have good quality discussion. See, I want to keep my forum more quality than quantity. I'd like to have you know, people that really want to discuss things with each other and help each other out in this prepping journey that we're all on. And I'd rather keep it small and keep it a good group. If you join the forum, please email me at bob at todayssurvival.com. There's two S's in that address, by the way. Bob at todayssurvival.com. That's the best way to email me and say, Hey, Bob, I signed up for your forum, and here's the username I I'm used. Please approve my account. And within 24 hours or less, usually less, I will approve your account. And again, the email address is bob at todayssurvival.com. The website is todayssurvival.com. And I think that's pretty much the announcements that I wanted to get out of the way. Well, Glenn Tate, the author of the tremendous survival and prepping book series, 299 Days. It's one of the most common sense reads that I've ever read. Also, one of the good things is he has a unique ability to be able to tell a story and also give us a pretty plausible look into what it, it could very likely happen. He talks about a partial collapse, not a complete collapse. Uh, you know, that's definitely within the realm of possibility here in this country. The way we're going, the, the incredible massive debt and just the overall deterioration of society. Would you agree with me that it's probably very likely, not just plausible, but probably very likely that a partial collapse of some kind is going to happen? And when I say partial collapse, and when Glenn talks about it, I think, well, I know from the book what he's referring to. He's not referring to Armageddon, the end of the world as we know it, where zombies are coming to attack and all that. None of that stuff. What he's talking about government services that cease to exist or that are severely cut back because the government just can't keep doing it. You know, we we shouldn't be relying on the government anyway, but we got so many millions and millions of sheep out there that do rely on the government that we've got this problem. Uh, And it's so out of balance. So he talks about that collapsing. He talks a little bit about, you know, he writes about law and order collapsing and you know, the government getting a little too oppressive, a little too tyrannical and taking certain things away. So that's what we're going to talk about coming up. And that's what he also talks about in his book quite a bit. So things continue to exist. The, the United States or whatever country you're in, it continues to exist and it continues to be somewhat of a resemblance of what we know. But 
so different that it really affects people's lives. And I, I really think that this is coming. And, and you know, I'm not going to say it's coming next year or this year. It is going to happen if we don't change course. And here's the thing. I don't think we're going to change course. I really don't. I think we have such a huge society of dependence in the United States that there's no turning back. Now, I know I have international listeners. I recently got a call from a gentleman from Australia. I know there's people in the Netherlands that listen to this show. There are people in France. I know I have uh, several people that are from Brazil that listen to this. In fact, I think I've got one from Argentina. He emailed me. And so, you know, the guy in Argentina, he definitely knows what a partial collapse is all about. They went through it not too long ago. So in your country, it might be a little different, but I bet there's a lot of similarities in what you pick up on this show, and uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that. But it could happen, folks, and I think it's going to happen, and are you prepared? That's the question. Are you prepared? You know, for over three years now, I've been preaching this message of get ready. Get ready. And I think it's a combination of everything. You need to have your financial preps in order. You definitely need to have your supplies like your food and your water and your extra supplies and your generators and any ways that you can store up you know, water and your alternative ways of cooking and things like that. You need to have all that, your garden, your seeds stored and so forth. You also got to have plans. You have to have plans and a reasonable means of carrying out those plans. I mean, think about it. What if it's all, all of a sudden that you hear the knock on your door and the knock on your door is some authorities and they're saying, time to evacuate. You got to get out. Okay, let's say there's some kind of a weather event. You got you to leave. Time to evacuate. And you got five minutes. Now think about it. If you got five minutes to get out of your house, do you have things packed? Do you have things ready to go? Do you have bags ready to go with the supplies you need? Do you, do you know which vehicle you're going to use? Do you know how you're going to pack it? Do you know several different ways to get out of your area where you live? What if the ways that you normally, what if the routes you normally take are shut down? What if the authorities have the roads shut down for whatever reason? Do you know alternate methods? If GPS isn't working, do you know how to do it? Have you got it memorized? Do you have a good map? But what if you, what if somebody knocks on your door and says, "You got five minutes to get out"? I got things packed. I got things packed, and I know exactly how I'm going to put them in my vehicle, and I know exactly what I'm going to take. And let's say you don't know when you're coming back. And if you don't think this is possible, just pay attention to what's going on out there right now. I mean, recently up in the northeast United States, they just had a massive, massive winter storm. A massive blizzard winter storm. Now, people weren't evacuating, but a lot of people were not prepared. It amazes me. Here this blizzard comes, this winter storm. They knew it was coming, and people were flocking to the stores like crazy because they weren't prepared already. And it it never ceases to amaze me how people don't think about these things in advance. They wait until the last minute. And as you know, certain things may not be available during the last minutes or the last hours or days leading up to a bad event that you know is coming because you have a lot of unprepared sheep out there that all of a sudden wake up and say, Oh, yeah, gee, maybe we better start getting ready. But they had warning, you might not. 
So think about that. Do you have those kinds of plans? All right. My guest, Glenn Tate and I, we talked about what we think we, we, we think is coming in terms of the gun control issue. Now, th- this show here, today's survival show, is not all about firearms. Every once in a while, <clears throat> I do talk about firearms. Last week, I had a guy talking about reloading. But most of my episodes, I don't talk about guns. I have another podcast I'd like to invite you to listen to. It's called the Handgun World Podcast. I do talk about guns over there and training and things. It's a very good program. I think you're going to like it. This is more about what Glenn thinks the government is going to be doing. It's not really an an analysis about guns. It's not, you know, you're not going to hear us talk about different types of guns or training or anything like that. You're just going to hear us talk about what Glenn thinks the issue is, the gun control issue is, and and what's going to happen. But we also talk about some of the alternate motives that we think some government officials have. That's the key. Listen carefully for that part of the interview. Some of the alternate motives that many of the government officials that we think are pushing the gun control have. They have some alternate motives. They have some ulterior motives. I guess that's the word that I'm trying to look for or to say. So listen for that. Here you go. Glenn Tate, the author of the book series 299 Days, is my guest coming right up. Well, back on the podcast is Glenn Tate. How's it going, Glenn? Good. How are you doing, Bob? Great. I'm doing great. You know what? Uh, Man, your books seem to be just flying off the shelves or the internet sites or whatever. There have been tons of people, uh, because I track, a lot of people going to my website and and buying your book both in hardcover and in ebook format off of uh, Amazon through my site. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I you know, I continue to be amazed. Um, I think it's a great book. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't really do it uh, to <laughs> be commercially successful. I just wanted to get a message out to some people, and it's getting out to multitudes more than I thought it would. And it's just been fantastic. And so, and thank you for having it up um, on your site. That's very helpful. I appreciate it. No problem. In case there's people that are just tuning in, because I get a lot of new listeners from time to time. Go ahead and ex- talk about your book. Take about 60 seconds or, go- or so to plug that book. Oh, okay. Uh, it's called 299 Days, and it's a 10-book series. Uh, books 1 through 4 are out right now, and book 5 will be coming out in late March 2013. It's a book about me, basically, um, a guy who was a suburban guy and um, decided he needed to prep, gets prepping, um, gets the family on board uh, reluctantly, um, goes out to his cabin, and um, they form up out there after a collapse. I detail politically and economically why I think there'll be a collapse. No kooky stuff, by the way, just completely understandable things that you see in the headlines every day. And um, and then there's a, um, a big battle between good guys and bad guys. It's very realistic, um, no comic book stuff, and um, it's been selling extremely well. So that tells me that um, it's not weirdo stuff, and it's not you know exaggerated, unbelievable stuff. And so that's it in thirty seconds. I think I came in at fifty-eight seconds. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> Very good. And I want to tell people that I'm on book three. It's fantastic. You know, Glenn, you have this uncanny ability to 
pretty much nail things on the head as to what has already happened and what I think is about to happen. And I'm glad you said it's not kooky because my style is I'm a common sense guy. And I, that's why I like your writing style. So congratulations on the book. Folks, get it. Go over to handgunworld.com and click recommended books and you'll see how to order it. Thank you. Now you're welcome. Keep it, keep going. So we're going to talk about firearms. We're going to talk about gun control pretty much. Uh, you have kind of a unique perspective because you work in state government, right? Yeah, um, more accurately, I don't want to exaggerate to people. I, I get to observe um, state government. Um, I'm not a government employee, uh, so I don't want to mislead people. So they think that I'm some you know important political advisor to the governor of the state of Washington because I'm not. But I get to observe people like that, and a lot of my friends. I live here in the state capital of Washington State, which is Olympia, and I have a lot of friends who do things sort of like that that are in these sorts of positions. I describe it as a front row seat to corruption. Um, I get to see things going on. And by corruption, I don't mean you know bags of money changing hands, and I don't mean kind of Hollywood crime drama stuff. I mean the, the kind of yucky things that politicians do um, to get votes and how they take money from people and spend it on other people to get votes and those sorts of things. So um, corruption in the sense of the system isn't working like it should work, not criminal corruption i want to be clear yeah no thanks for clearing that up so i like you what you say you kind of have a front row seat to it all yep that's right and so that's the perspective i come at this with and it's the reason i think the the book um is 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 so popular is that i describe a lot of things are very close to reality um i had to change some things to you know protect people um and and everything but um i describe things i see that my friends see that they tell me about in for example there's a famous scene um in the conference room at the governor's office and um one of the people says, hey, that, you know, that tax money, that's our money. You know, it's the government's money. It belongs to us and, and all that sort of thing. So I get to see these perspectives, and it allows me to describe things from that angle. And then people can look at all the things going on in the news and in the economy, and they can see, aha, that, that must be what he's talking about. So that's why people can take what I'm saying which is believable because it's largely <laughs> reality-based. I'm not a terribly creative guy. Um, I just describe things that I've seen and in some cases heard about. And so there's that reality aspect, but then people can pull in all these facts from their own lives and say, okay, that seems to be what's going on with that. So, yeah, that's the front row seat to corruption. Glenn, was that comment that was made by that government official at that meeting, did that actually happen? Uh Yes. Wow, that's in book two, by the way, and that, you know what, that's probably the most shocking part of what I've read that you've written so far, is, you know, because I've always thought that that politicians thought that way, but I never really figured that they would actually say stuff like that. Yeah, unguarded moments uh, when they assume everybody in the room is is on their side, Um, and yeah, these, these kind of things come out, there was in that situation I was describing, a lot of desperation. Um, a couple years ago, the state of Washington had enormous deficits. They still have bad ones, but you know they're not as bad. But they're still really bad. The state budget deficit this year was only two billion. Quite a sigh of relief. Um, only, <laughs> only, only. Okay. Yeah, and we're a medium-sized state, so um, that's that's you know a lot of money. And so there was desperation. Oh my goodness, we're going to have to cut all these programs. We can't cut these programs. 
for a variety of political reasons. We can't do it. We can't do it. What are we going to do? We can't raise taxes. We've already raised them, you know, so high that that we're we're losing business and all of these things. And so that kind of desperation was the was the setting. And then um, somebody just said what they were really thinking, and um, and there you go. It well, is what it is. Why don't you say it one more time, and then we'll get on to our gun discussion. Oh, the uh, the thing that was said, the essence of it was the the taxpayers' tax money out there. That's our money, meaning that's the government's money. The money in the economy is the government's money, and the people need to give us more of it because it's our money. In other words, government does wonderful things by paving a road, for example. The, the president essentially said this when President Obama said uh, nobody built a business on their own. Somebody had to build the roads and build the bridges and all that other stuff. And the implication is the government's wisdom and big spending allows business to happen. And yes, you know there are trucks that have to travel down roads and that helps business and everything. But um, this idea that and this is all my opinion, my political theory. I don't mean to say this is fact or anything, but this idea that that everything that happens in the private sector is because the government is letting it happen, and the government, you know, uh, is the reason that there are people with jobs in the private sector. I I don't I don't believe in. So anyway, that was the background of the comment, and it it got to the uh, the idea that there's a. Um, I think at some high levels in government, and I'm generalizing. Please understand, I'm generalizing. There, yeah. There's a uh, a frustration with the people because the people don't understand that they need to give more of their money and more of their rights to government because government's going to do all these wonderful things. Don't these stupid people understand that government is going to do great things for them? What is the holdup? That's sort of the feeling. <laughs> Very well described, and you're right. You know. I'm I'm shocked because I don't recall the government giving me any help to build this podcast or my training business. Well, you're mistaken, Mr. Maine. Al Gore invented the internet. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. If Al Gore had not invented the internet, this podcast wouldn't exist. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> well, now that we got that out of the way, so... There's this big gun control discussion going on around the country right now. Uh, it frustrates me. Sometimes I want to throw a rock through my TV when I hear these people talk. But I can't do that because I paid a lot of money for the TV. And it gets frustrating. But your perspective is interesting. You don't seem to think that a lot of this stuff is going to pass. That's right. And I want to let people know I'm not saying there's no possibility of bad things passing or that it's no big deal and we can all relax. Um, everybody needs to, number one, join the NRA. Number two, contact their uh, federal and state elected representatives. You need to treat this as seriously as it very possibly could be, and that is, God forbid, bans on particular weapons and um, and magazines and all of those sorts of things. It is possible that all those bad things happen. So I don't want to sound like it's no big deal. I especially don't want to imply that people who are concerned about significant gun control are overreacting. Because um, I think it's possible. And, and I've overreacted, I guess. I mean, I haven't done anything. I didn't go out and buy a bunch of expensive guns or ammunition or anything. But, I mean, I'm taking this really, really seriously. Now, that being said, 
um, I think I have a perspective and I could walk through how I don't think it will be nearly as easy um, for the gun control people to get what they want. And so I, I try to be hopeful and I try to describe things, at least as I see them, and describe things in a realistic way. And I'll, I'll be really honest, I could be wrong. And um, I hope I'm not wrong. Um, when I think the United States is going to collapse economically and politically, that's when I hope I'm wrong. Right. I hope I'm right when I think that uh, there won't be significant gun control coming, although there will be, you know, some stuff. And, and I, I break it into two levels, the uh, federal level and the state level. Um, and the federal level, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be difficult to get the Feinstein um, bill through the Senate. And everybody probably knows the Feinstein bill is the really bad one that is a ban on so-called assault rifles, right. semi-automatic pistols and magazines and a bunch of other terrible stuff. Registration, I mean, horrible, ridiculous stuff. Um, I don't think it gets through the United States Senate for um, a couple reasons. One is, I think it's 10 or 12, I'm not sure of the exact number, um, 10 or 12 Democrats in the U.S. Senate are up for re-election, and they are in states that voted for um, Romney. They're red states. And so this issue, this gun control thing, I'll tell you, nothing gets uh, people out to vote like this issue. And, uh, and we all know that. I mean, we're all contacting you know, our elected officials, and so we, we're living this. We know what a big deal is. I mean, I can't wait for Election Day 2014. I just can't Me wait. Me too. I mean, you know, that's rare for me. Um, I'm in the political business, and it's rare for me to be excited for an election coming up. Um, so with with these Democrats in, in red states, um, they're going to tread pretty lightly. Um, and so maybe even a Feinstein bill doesn't get out of a Senate committee, although maybe it does. But anyway, and when it gets to the full Senate, um, the guy who decides if there's even going to be a vote – by the way, it's not like – you were probably told in civics class or anything where there are these, you know, big debates and, and everybody in say the U S Senate has some idea about a bill and they think that they're just going to vote on it because they, they think it's important that there's a vote and everything. I mean, it's, it's all theatrics. It doesn't happen that way. Does it? It doesn't happen that way. The, the person running the Senate in this case, Democrat Harry Reid from Nevada decides whether there's even going to be a vote. And that's the big thing. I mean, if, if, they decide there's going to be a vote. They already know what the outcome is. Um, it's very, very rare. I can speak from experience at the state level. I don't know much about the federal level. At the state level, it's very, very rare for there to be a vote in this in my state legislature. And everybody around, like the lobbyists and all the elected people, don't know what the outcome is. There are virtually no cliffhangers. Um, so I don't think Harry Reid lets a really bad gun control bill um, – uh, come to the floor of the Senate and be voted on. Harry Reid has an A rating with the NRA. I think he's a bad person. I have extreme disagreements with him uh, politically. Um, he had a lot to do with Obamacare, which I think is terrible public policy. So I'm not saying I like the guy, believe me. Um, but um, he was recently on one of the Sunday news shows, and he had an opportunity to explain what you know kind of gun control, if any, he sees passing. And he said maybe some background check enhancements, um, but that was about it. Now, I am not putting my faith in Harry Reid or any elected official because, for the most part, they're dirtbags. And so I'm not going <laughs> to 
rest easy at night that my rights um, are in the hands of, of elected officials. So I don't mean nothing to worry about. And and Harry Reid could um, get a call from the president, and Harry Reid can decide to have a vote on a terrible bill like the Feinstein bill. Yeah. I guess my point is the most likely path is probably that, in my opinion at least, that that, that sort of stuff um, doesn't happen. Remember that the Democrats, who are, in, of course, in charge of the U.S. Senate, um, they all say, rah, 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 we're against guns, um, but they they need to understand that there are electoral consequences. I mentioned the 10 or 12 um, Democrats in, in red states. Um, in, in politics, you need to energize your base, and for the Democrats, that would mean, and I'm going to generalize here, but I'm, I kind of need to because it's pretty much true, soccer moms, um, suburban, um, middle-aged women in general, um, who feel very emotionally about the gun issue. Um, you need, as a Democrat, you need to energize them and get them all fired up and make sure they go out and vote in 2014 to make sure those really bad guns go away. Um, and don't hurt children. So there's that aspect of it. But politically, you can overdo that energizing of the base. And then if you start to want too much gun control as a Democrat, you're going to start bringing out tons and tons of people who listen to this podcast who maybe they haven't voted in a while. Um, They're going to say, I'm getting out in 2014, and doggone it, I'm going to vote. So it's a double-edged sword. So yes, the Democrats are currently energizing their base, um, all the tears and all the you know teddy bears and stuff like that that you see is is entirely again my opinion designed to to get primarily suburban women out to vote. Um, there are other groups that that like gun control, but the, the main block. I mean, when you I mean tens and tens of millions of votes would be the soccer moms, especially in in midwestern eastern states um, that sort of thing. Um, so. That's the thing. The Democrats could overdo it um, with gun control, and, and it could end up backfiring and, and hurting them. So that's my take on the U.S. Senate. The, the easier of the two houses to call would be the U.S. House of Representatives, which is controlled by Republicans. Um, I've been extremely disappointed by the Republicans controlling the U.S. House. Right. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any you know, magic solutions and silver bullets pardon the pun but i mean you know there's no there's nothing easy and reliable here however i would be stunned if a republican house of representatives even even allowed something like the feinstein bill to be heard in committee that would absolutely stun me they might do some little things and they're still bad things but you know enhanced background check kind of things um those sorts of things but i i I would be stunned if it came out of the U.S. House. So I don't see much happening at the federal level. The president has some executive power um, powers. Which he's already used. He's already used. And I think uh, to address the big scary scenario, which is the president saying, okay, um, my gun control bill, the Feinstein bill, failed in Congress. Now I'm going to sign an executive order and start taking guns away. Um, I cannot see that happening um, for a variety of reasons. The main one is the political one I just mentioned, the energizing the base but energizing other people. The other thing is um, I just – as much as I really, really disagree with the policies of the president of the United States um, 
And as much as he probably would like to sign an executive order taking all guns away, I I can't imagine um, the people around him letting that happen because they would say, Mr. President, if you do this, the following horrible things will happen. And I'm not even going to describe the horrible things because I'm not trying to talk it up and you know be some big shot guy on a podcast saying X, Y, and Z, yada, yada, yada. And, yeah. And just I just can't see it happening. Um, so I don't see big bad stuff at the federal level, but we have 50 states. And as we've seen, the states are very, very different. The state gun control that passed in New York state is absolutely absurd. I have a friend um, who's a law enforcement officer in New York. The day after that bill passed that banned magazines, I think, um, of more than seven rounds. Right, right. Seven rounds. Seven rounds. And, 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 some of the other guns that were even left um, in New York that hadn't already been banned. Um, and it did not exempt law enforcement. Now, that was a drafting error. They wrote it in about a day or two. So they, by the way, I mean, come on, how do you forget to allow the police and military, you know, to have guns? But anyway. Well, because they're knuckleheads, that's why. <laughs> exactly right. Because it's all politics. It was all politics. So my friend, um, uh, law enforcement guy and uh, uh, just a patriot and a a wonderful person, he he called me and said, well, today I committed a bunch of felonies. And I said, oh, really? That's interesting. (laughs) And uh, he said, yeah, um, went out shooting with my friends and we had, you know, we had some M1As and, you know, some M4s and the magazines to go with it. He said, we were all committing felonies. A bunch of his friends, uh, police friends who are not gun guys, I mean, they shoot and stuff as part of their job, but they're not really gun guys they they kind of came to the conclusion that this gun control stuff is completely out of hand when they were sitting there saying to themselves we're committing a bunch of felonies now the police had announced that they will not be prosecuting the police because there will be a redraft of the bill and it'll exempt them in a few days and all that other stuff so it's not like they were really committing they were technically committing crimes but it became real for these um kind of on the fence police officers yeah and they weren't very happy about it either no, they weren't, and they they shouldn't be. I mean, they they shouldn't be put in that kind of um, legal jeopardy uh, for doing their job. So there can be some really bad state um, gun control, and there already has a lot of these states: New York and California and Illinois, for example, New Jersey. They already have such bad gun laws. It's it's almost you know a question of how much worse can it get. I mean, <laughs> well, can I can I shed some light on that? Yeah. Um, Okay, you use New York as an example. Let's talk about New York for a minute. For quite a few years, New York's magazine limit was 10 rounds. And for quite a few years, they were happy with that. They thought that 10 rounds was fine, that they were doing a good thing by limiting citizens to 10-round magazines, that the whole state was safe and kumbaya and everything was right with the world because everybody only had 10. Then we have this event at Sandy Hook, and oh, well, now 10 is no longer safe, even though they said it was. Now it's got to be seven rounds. And so the question we all have to ask ourselves is, where does this stop? Are they going to lower it to five rounds after the next event? And then three. And then, well, now we're going to start confiscating. See, once you start down this path, it begs the question, where does this stop? Yes, exactly. And since... These gun control measures don't stop any of these crazy people from doing these horrible things. There will always be a next episode, a next incident, and then there will be the next call for more and more 
gun control exactly right. Where does it end? And, you know, what happened in New York is a great example of the thirst for control that politicians have because they didn't even stop to exclude law enforcement. They wanted control so bad. They wanted to use their power to seize control over the citizenry so bad that in their haste, they even make law enforcement personnel lawbreakers. Exactly. Yeah, that just shows the the lack of thinking that was involved. And um, so you're going to see that at some state levels. And I can now transition to Washington State, which I have a, a lot of familiarity with. Washington State, as most people probably know, is a very liberal state. I mean, we have Seattle, for goodness sakes, in our state. And um, very, very liberal. Um, and so I was at the gym here in the state capitol um, working out with uh, – a friend of mine who's, who's a legislator, and um, I said to him, I said, we're not going to be seeing any of this gun control stuff, are we? And I was kind of half kidding, but it was, I had a bit of an edge to my voice. Yeah. Um, he said, no. And by the way, he's, he's a uh, Democrat. He's, um, I'm not a Democrat. He's a friend of mine who is a Democrat. Um, he's, in, he's from a rural district. Um, he's big on a lot of the democratic policies but on the gun stuff he has an a plus rating from the nra quite simply his his constituents in his district are gun owners out there in this rural part of washington state and so he's a smart politician and so if if the people in his district are all for guns he is too i mean and so he said well here's here's how i see this playing out again this is in washington state which is more liberal than most of the states listeners are in he said the Seattle liberals will um, try to get a bill passed that'll do a bunch of stuff. They'll they'll pair it back, and so maybe some kind of enhanced background check sort of thing, um, maybe some of the mental illness stuff, that kind of thing. He said um, it it may pass um, the Washington State House of Representatives, which is almost two thirds Democrat. Um, he said, but it'd probably be kind of a background thing. By the way, he wasn't saying this is the the, the script and how it's going to play out. He was saying this is what he thinks. It was very early in the legislative session, so I don't want to – after I just said that this is all staged and then yeah. I describe I don't imply that it's staged. But this is his best guess, and this, from what I know, makes a lot of sense to me too. So maybe some wishy-washy background stuff check passes the uh, Washington State House. Um, the Washington State Senate is – technically controlled by Democrats, but functionally controlled by Republicans because there are two uh, Democrats who vote with Republicans. So it's functionally, you know, Republican controlled. Right. There's no way, he said, there's just no way gun control at all comes out of, of the state Senate being controlled by Republicans. He said, so what you'll get is the Washington House passes some kind of wishy-washy stuff, and that's about it. He said, I just don't don't see... Any gun control, he said, I have an A-plus rating with the NRA, and I'd have to vote against it anyway. And it was weird how he said it. Um, He said, I'd have to vote against it like it was an absolute uh, certainty. I mean, it was like he was saying, if I I drop this orange, it will hit the floor because gravity is a certainty. I mean, he said, well, i got to vote against it. I mean, um, and so, uh, you know, the the NRA, um, to its credit... Um, has a lot of uh, power and can influence even liberal Democrats like uh, this guy I was working out with who's, you know, he's no Ronald Reagan by any means. 
And that A-plus rating that he has means a great deal to this guy. And he, he said, I'm not voting for any gun control at all because I would lose my A-plus rating. So people out there, when you say, should I join the NRA? Should I get some gift memberships? Jeez, I get all these magazines and all this direct mail, and I don't like it. I'm telling you, <laughs> when it counts, when, when legislators say, I can't vote for gun control because I'll lose my A-plus rating – that's exactly what your money's going for, and it's what you need to do. It's why you need to do it. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. And if I can interject something here for a minute, Glenn, um, let me let me let's back up just a little bit. You mentioned earlier about the U.S. House of Representatives, and I think you were talking about how you didn't think that anything was going to get through in terms of gun control through the U.S. House, right, Glenn? You there? Yeah, we had a little. Did we have a disconnection? Oh, I, I guess so for just a moment. Yeah, that yeah. Al internet's not working. Yeah, Al, Al Gore's internet's not working. Yeah, um, if I can get back to the House of Representatives for a minute. Yeah. Okay, uh, and I want you to continue with your Washington State stuff, but I want to tell people about an interview that I heard here on local San Antonio radio. Are you familiar with Congressman Lamar Smith? I've heard the name. Okay, Lamar Smith's congressional district is here in the San Antonio area, and he was on San Antonio radio talking about gun control recently. He said he is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Wow. He said all gun control legislation in the House has to go through his committee of which he is the chairman of. He is a Republican here in uh, San Antonio. I will, I will quote to the best of my ability what I heard him say on the radio interview. He said, any gun control legislation that comes through my committee in the House, which is the House Judiciary Committee, will not get out of my committee. Yep. So, yeah, you know, that tells you right there it's going to be next to impossible to get through the House. However, I want you, and I, and I want you to get back to your Washington State stuff, but I've been, I've been meaning to ask you this question. Here's what I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid of is I know that the, that the liberal Democrats have overreached with their gun control bill. I know that Feinstein's bill is far overreaching and has virtually no chance of passing the way it is. My concern is that they will try to forge some kind of a compromise. Um, And that compromise will include things like universal background checks and registration. What I'd like to get your opinion on, because here's my fear. Universal background checks and registration is... that is nothing more than an attempt to create a national database of gun owners. Absolutely. And in, in my mind, um, obviously confiscations are the worst thing. Prohibitions are the next. And, and right up there with prohibitions is registration. Registration is always, always, always the first step towards confiscations. And so registration is is evil and terrible and is an amazingly large threat to our rights. Um, and it doesn't seem as bad, though, which I think what you're getting at, it doesn't seem as bad as you know confiscation. Um, 
and you know the the mental health thing ties into this. Oh, we need to we need to know who all the gun owners are in order to make sure that the database of crazy people parentheses that doesn't exist by the way, um, database of mentally ill people um, that right. I know. But anyway, um, we need to match these databases and everything. Yeah, I mean something that is um, under the radar. It doesn't seem terrible. Um, is is what compromises are all about. Um, I see tons and tons of compromises on other topics, um, like I think we're going to see a bunch of it on immigration reform, by the way. Um, and I I don't see it nearly as likely um, for gun control because of the Lamar Smith situation uh, that you mentioned. Um, so while these politicians are dirtbags and will compromise and do all kinds of stupid, compromisey things that don't sound terrible but end up being really, really bad for everybody involved – um, to me, guns are just a different topic. I hope I'm right about that. So I don't, I don't see registration even through a compromise coming out of the federal legislative um, uh, branch. Well, but, but hang on a second. Okay, registration might not. But you're hearing this term, universal background checks. And there was a report that came out just four or five days ago that universal background checks now is very popular, actually, with the American citizenry. And I want to warn people about this, and I'm trying not to be a conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat kind of guy. But let me tell you what they mean, what they really mean by universal background checks. And there's actually, there's actually Republicans like Orrin Hatch from Utah and Chuck Rassley from Iowa that are actually warming up to the universal background checks idea, which is I think that's the compromise that is likely to get forged. All that is, all that universal background checks is, and, and the way they sell it, I mean, they're great salesmen, and I'm a salesperson, so I know a great salesman when I, when I hear one. They're selling it to us as, well... We want to make sure that criminals uh, don't get their hands on guns. People that shouldn't have a gun shouldn't get their hands on it. Right? Have you heard it pitched that way? Oh, absolutely. And, and I agree with you that, that um, databases, which theoretically are not registration, although <laughs> databases have data in them. <laughs> exactly. It can end up being turned into registration. Um, and that's what, that's what they mean by universal background check. What they mean is they want to establish a database. Because first of all, let's face it. What criminal is going to go through a background check to get his gun? Yeah. A criminal will always find a way to get a gun. He, he's going to pay off a drug buddy. He's going to steal it. He's going to get it on the black market. A criminal is going to figure out a way to get a gun without a background check. Mm-hmm. So all a universal background check is, and this is my fear. My fear is they may forge some kind of a compromise where they'll strike just about everything out of the gun control bill except the universal background checks. All that is, like you said, databases have data in them. All that is is a way to establish a database, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's one already being built, of every gun owner in the country. Once they've got that, or let's say every legal gun owner in the country, because again, the criminals won't be on that database, which is what's interesting. You know, if they're going to go by universal background checks to establish a database, well, the criminals aren't going to be on that database. And isn't that who they're really after? Aren't they really after the criminals? Mm -hmm. But I digress. So, what do you think of that? Don't you think that a universal background check is really going to be their attempt to begin a national database? Yes, I think that the most likely um, 
play um, out of the legislative branch would be um, a, a enhanced background checks, I'll call it, which was kind of what my friend was implying uh, would be, you know, the Washington State thing. So enhanced background checks is the most palatable, sellable thing that could happen. And, um, and I agree with you there. And I also agree that the enhanced background checks at the flip of a switch become registration. So yeah, I, I, I agree on all that. I still don't know that, I still don't think that uh, even enhanced background checks get out of the U.S. House. But You don't think so? If anything did, it would be that. If anything did, it would be that. Yeah. So I want to take a break here in just a minute, Glenn, but I want to encourage everybody to get a hold of your senators and your representatives and your reps on the state level and oppose the background checks too. Don't buy into the sales pitch that, oh, we want to do this because we want to keep guns out of the hands of the people that shouldn't have them. Universal background checks will not accomplish that. That will not keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. The criminals or the crazy people, and I think anybody who's crazy enough to go do what that guy did at Sandy Hook is a criminal, by the way, um, they're going to figure out how to get a gun without going through a background check. Yep. You know? So, all right, Glenn, I want to take a quick break, and I want to get you back uh, in the second segment here to talk about the uh, what, what you were talking about with Washington State, okay? You bet. All right, we'll be right back. Well, yeah, it's getting tough out there. Yeah, no doubt. I work in home invasions, mostly. Uh, some murder... Uh, occasional rape, uh, and I'm a huge advocate of gun control. Absolutely. Uh, competition is stiff, and it, it doesn't help that every time I kick in a door or smash a window, that I face the possibility of being shot and killed. Listen, the fact is, allowing citizens to own guns creates a hostile work environment for me and my associates. Uh, no one should have to work under, under those conditions. Uh, I say make them all illegal, absolutely. Make all gun ownership illegal. I mean, I break the law for a living. I'm a professional, so it doesn't really bother me. <clears throat> I mean, but personally, knowing that most homeowners don't have guns, uh, that would make me a lot more comfortable, uh, more confident, and it would surely increase productivity, no doubt. This is no Your local violent criminals work hard and put their lives on the line every time they attempt to murder, rape, abduct, or assault a member of the citizenry. They desperately need your help. With your support, there may finally come a day when a violent criminal can have his way with you or someone you love without the fear, anxiety, and stress caused by knowing there's a possibility his victim might be armed. Please show your support by voting for stronger anti-gun legislation because criminals prefer unarmed citizens. Okay, we're back. Glenn Tate's my guest, the author of the book series 299 Days, a terrific prepping book, a story about himself. So, Glenn, uh, I want to get you back on the subject. You were talking about 
uh, the discussion going on at the state level in Washington about gun control. Yeah, yeah, and I think parts of this uh, apply to just about every state that's out there. So the the bottom line is that um, even in a liberal state like Washington, um, you know, the the best information I can come up with um, is that there probably wouldn't be um, significant uh, gun control that would be coming out of even a place like Washington State. Um, maybe something that you know is is bad, um, enhanced background checks or something may possibly come out of a place like Washington State. Um, I think even that's unlikely because, as I was mentioning before the break, um, in our state, um, the state Senate is is controlled by Republicans, and they've got a uh, an arm folded, heck no, um, you know, approach to anything on this topic because they all really value their NRA um, ratings because that NRA rating gets votes and gets people elected and keeps them reelected. So, um, you know, and I can't see many things. Um, that say a governor can do with a governor's executive order. Um, there's some little tweaky little things, um, but not anything, you know, major. Um, so I, I was going into this, um, thing, the immediately after the Sandy hook thing, my, my theory was that Washington state would probably enact something as bad as, um, a, a magazine capacity, restriction or something like that and I was very very concerned about that and um, now I'm thinking that's that's not terribly likely um, so that's kind of how the, the the state thing plays out um, and and I, I hope it plays out as I think it will <laughs> well I hope that you're correct you know the the states I think are going to be the ultimate deciding factor in a lot of this because we're already starting to see it happen we saw what New York did I understand that there's a proposal in New Jersey to do something similar we've all been watching California for the last numerous years and all the gun control junk that they're trying to put forth in their state or that they have actually successfully done. Yeah. So I think that, I think it's going to come down to the states. And I, if I'm not mistaken, and somebody's probably going to correct me on this if I'm wrong, but in the last Supreme Court decision, which was um, uh, McDonald versus Chicago, or it might have been the Heller case. Can't remember which one. I think McDonald versus Chicago, that overturned the Chicago gun ban. One of those, the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed the individual right to own a firearms. However, they did leave regulation open to be decided by, I believe, the states. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that, but they did leave regulation as kind of the open issue. That's right, and and both Heller and McDonald um, affirmed an individual right to self-defense, to have firearms of some kind. Um, Heller was in D.C., so it said the District of Columbia gets to come up with, and now I don't know if the word was reasonable, but that's kind of the idea, reasonable gun control restrictions. And then in McDonald, since that was then a state, Illinois, of course, you know that, that case said that the states like Illinois can come up with some you know, some restrictions on firearms and all of that gets down to the devil being in the details of what's reasonable and all of that. So yeah, states have significant leeway, um, to come up with their own, their own gun restrictions. Um, you know, I, I wish it weren't so, but, uh, <laughs> it is so. And 
you're going to see an amazing, um, amazing degree of difference between the states. And you mentioned states could be the the um, uh, the leading edge, I guess. That's my term, not yours, of of gun control. There's actually a possibility of the the opposite also happening. A bunch of states, um, Wyoming comes to mind, um, are are proposing bills. I don't know the name of them. Have passed yet? I suspect quite a few will pass. That have basically said any restriction, federal restriction on firearms, or any new, I guess, restriction, federal restriction on firearms is null and void in our state, and uh, we're directing um, our state police and our uh, county sheriffs not to enforce it. And so you can have a backlash, a legal, political, legitimate uh, backlash, I might add. Nonviolent, I guess, is better than saying legitimate. You can have a nonviolent backlash with the states, some of the good states, saying, heck no, we're not doing it, we're not enforcing it. And I have friends in law enforcement i'm not in law enforcement and um they they tell me that the feds can do very little uh, when it comes to law enforcement without the support of of local law enforcement most of the seemingly federal task forces drug task forces terrorism task forces that sort of thing are largely staffed by uh, local uh police and so if the local police and the state police are ordered not to care out a federal law, it's going to be extremely difficult for the relatively small number of federal agents that are out there. There aren't too many federal agents compared to you know state and local. It's going to be really hard for ATF, for example, to to just start arresting people. Um, right, you're I mean, right about they that. Can they can scare people and they can intimidate people, but as far as mass arrests. Um, ATF and other federal uh, officials do not have the resources, in my opinion, to pull it off. Um, well, you're so. right. They don't. It, it, it does. A lot of it does come down to local. And speaking of local and state, uh, Texas, you might want to add them to your list. Uh, basically, the attorney general here in Texas and many of the local officials have also said they are not going to enforce any of the federal restrictions that might pass. Yeah, and there's there's a great thing going on in Utah. Um, all of the sheriffs in Utah, with the exception of Salt Lake County, which is the most populous county, but all the other sheriffs um, signed a letter. It's an amazing letter. It's a great read. And uh, they said, not only are we not enforcing this, um, we will defend with our lives, code word, we will defend with our lives um, our our citizens' rights to you know own firearms. And um, that's another example of it being beyond the capability of the federal government to do some of the bad things that I believe some in the federal government want to do. Another example of this, and this kind of ties into the the plot and story of the book. You'll be seeing more of this when you get past book three, by the way, Bob, but uh, a thousand Green Berets, current and retired, um, signed a letter. I'm sure you've heard about this, um, supporting uh, the Second Amendment and reaffirming that they will not follow orders to um, infringe on citizens' Second Amendment rights. And so, you know, you got that to worry about if you're trying, as the federal government, take away people's guns. Um, you've got all these these roadblocks, thank goodness, in your way. You've got local law enforcement. You've got current and, and retired military saying they won't do these things and won't participate in it. So, and, and this, this gets into a lot of what the, what the book is about. Um, um, 
there are all kinds of good guys, law enforcement and in particular military and specifically um, special forces in the book who uh, not only don't go along with the bad guys but actively uh, work for the good guys. And so they don't have the resources is the bottom line of 299 days. The, the bad guys do not have the resources to pull off the bad things that they want to do. So that's reassuring. I hope. I hope I'm right about that. Well, I hope you are too. Um, huh? In the, Glenn, don't you kind of see the makings of a stink hit the fan event here? Oh my goodness gracious! I can't believe it hasn't already happened, Bob. I'm, I I tell people that a lot of the things that I've written about um, are coming true, um, and, but my timetable is off because in my mind, this should have happened a while ago. So I'm obviously incorrect about timing. Um, maybe I'm incorrect about other things. I'm open to that. I mean, I'm not trying to be some Nostradamus prophet guy. I mean, I want to be wrong, but, um, yeah, um, economically, and that's to me where it all starts. We've got the, the political bad stuff going on. I mean, this country is incredibly divided as we saw in the 2012 election, um, you know, uh, one or two percentage points away, and you've got two camps in this country that are just really, really polarized and divided. I've never seen anything like it, and there's a lot of really amazing polling that shows how really, really divided this country is in a very unhealthy way, I might add. Now, it is unhealthy, you're right. We all get together and we all do this compromise stuff. No, um, uh, there's a there's a a guy who has a conservative radio talk show on XM named Andrew Wilkow, who's fantastic. And he says over and over again, I agree with him, this country needs to be more divided. It needs to be more polarized. Are you kidding me? Um, but anyway, it's it's unhealthy, but um, anyway. And so you've got, um, you've got that going on. And so that's the political background. And you've got, I think, sort of somewhat desperate um, – political people. I mentioned, you know, in the first segment, the conference room and, you know, there's a big budget deficit and the government was desperate for money. Well, when you've got that political desperation going on, when there's a big event, um, it means maybe some of the political people freak out and overplay their hand and say, well, we're going to go and grab all this money, try to grab this money because we need this money. And then that triggers, you know, reactions and overreactions and all of that other stuff. Yeah, exactly. So there's the political background um, that everybody knows about because they can read the newspapers and they know that's true. So, but I think the thing is is the trigger is an economic thing. I don't think um, space aliens or any of that other stuff is going to happen. Um, well, so, and economically, I don't know when it's going to happen. I, geez, one of the reasons I I think I'm wrong about the timing is that I think the government and central banks and everything are are doing all kinds of stuff to keep this thing propped up and hold this thing together with bailing wire and, and duct tape. And um, I constantly marvel at how they're able to keep this thing chugging along largely by printing money. And that's not some, you know, throwaway statement. I mean, we know the Fed has admitted, Federal Reserve, I should say, $85 billion a month of, quote, monetizing the debt. And that's wow. For printing money and buying U.S. Treasury bonds, which is basically squirting $85 billion a month of made-up fake phony money um, into the economy, any time a central bank monetizes sovereign debt like this, it always, always, always results in inflation. 
It always does, and it's coming. And I know we're getting a little off topic here, but yeah, it is coming. The the massive inflation. I think you're right. I think what's going to happen is going to be an economic event. But you know what? Here's here's where I think that the, that the gun control stuff is going to add to it. Let, let, let's not talk politics for a second. Let's just talk about ordinary Americans. And you, what we have in this country, we have, when it comes to the gun issue, we've got divided people just amongst ordinary Americans. You know, for example, we got people in Texas that are very pro-gun and may have relatives in New Jersey that are anti-gun. So this subject is pitting relatives against relatives. And the more that comes down the pike, either from federal or state governments, the more restrictions that are opposed on people's right to self-defense, and that's what I think this is here, I think it's going to cause division within the body of the American people to the point where at some point it's it's got to break. At some point you you can't cre- keep creating this kind of division without having something just crack. What do you think? Absolutely. And I, I see a, a big economic event, and by that I mean something like all of a sudden the United States says uh, we sort of can't pay off this month's treasury bills that are due, treasury bonds, basically, you know, loans that people have made to the U.S. government. The U.S. government basically say, we don't have enough money to pay off this month's um, bonds, which would mean, um, well, uh, economic cataclysmic um, meltdown because all of a sudden everything in this world, I mean, everything financially in the world is based on the United States government paying off U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, the the dollar is the world reserve currency, which means basically everybody else's money is in one way or another tied to ours. And um, if that happens, if there's a default on on this stuff, um, everything melts down. But anyway, not to get off on kind of like finance stuff, but you're talking about political stuff. Um, there's an event like that. Then all these these things that people have been thinking but not saying and they've been feeling and they haven't been acting out, all of a sudden, poof, uh, they go and they and they act them out. And a great example of this is a guy named Doug, and it's how I spent my morning this morning. And uh, Doug is a friend of mine who is not a gun guy. He's not against guns. Um, he's a pretty cool guy, but he's like, you know, guns, it's not my thing. He's, he likes to fish. That's his thing. And me, I'm like, hey, whatever. I like guns. I don't like fishing. So... <laughs> Doug is uh, he runs a business, and um, over the past few years, um, I don't know, four or five years, he's just been getting pounded. Um, more regulations, they're taking more of his money in taxes, and they're making him responsible for everything. Like, if other people don't pay their bills to the government and they're subcontractors to this guy, the government comes after him and says, "You got to pay this other person's tab." I mean, it's just it's out of hand, and so he's been getting more and more. Um, frustrated and concerned and angry actually angry he's a really peaceful guy but he's really angry and so and he, but he never wanted to do gun stuff i'd say hey let's go out shooting i'd like to teach you how to shoot and everything he said eh, whatever so is he a democrat uh, no he's he's a republican okay. uh, he's just not a gun guy he's um, not a gun guy okay and um so um Sandy Hook comes up, and uh, you know, a week or two after the news is full of stuff in late December about all these new gun control things, I get a call from Doug, and he says, uh, uh, "I get it now." <laughs> he says, "I understand now." He said, 
they, meaning the government, want to control me. He said, it's bad enough that they take everything from me and they make me provide for all these dirtbags out there that are doing nothing. It, that's, that was bad and everything. That just sort of got my attention. Now I get it. They want people to be dependent on them, the government, and they don't want people to be able to take care of themselves for even things like somebody breaking in their house. And he said, we have to go and get me a gun. He said, I need your help. I need to go pick one out. I need to learn how to shoot. I need to get my wife, you know, shooting and everything. We need to, we need to take care of this on our own. And wow. so we're saying like big moments and, and, and stuff divided and stuff kind of people having some anger under the surface, but it's not coming out. Um, this gun thing. And I think really more particularly a, uh, a big economic collapse, all of a sudden, the gloves are going to come off, and people are going to say, I haven't felt comfortable saying this out loud, but I am sick and tired of people taking stuff from me and giving it to dirtbags just because the dirtbags vote. I'm sick of it. And you're going to see this uh, this gloves coming off kind of thing um, a lot, and we're already seeing it. Um, some of the polling is pretty amazing. But anyway, that's – oh, by the way, this morning, i tie that in. Um, I went out. Took Doug shooting. Um, he got a Smith and Wesson M and P and forty. Cool. Um, he's a magnificent shot. He did a really good job. Really safe. He he said this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that just proves the point. When you get these people who are really not gun people, but you get them out to the range. You know this happened to me about a year and a half ago. We had some friends come down to visit us that weren't gun people. But once you get them out to the range, and after they show that they're safe and they begin to have fun with that weapon isn't it amazing how their whole attitude seems to change yeah because a lot of people and this is hard for a lot of listeners to appreciate because we're all gun people and but a lot of people out there they really think guns like explode and 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 kill people and they don't and they think they're like some explosive device that you hold in your hand and it's just a miracle there aren't bits of shrapnel going everywhere i mean they're they're really that uneducated and he was kind of scared of the gun too he was trying to be a tough guy he didn't want me to know that he was afraid of the gun but i could tell when he uh when he flinched downward before every shot right there's a there's he's anticipating the recoil you're a handgun instructor you know about that yes that was going on but once he um and i started him off by the way with a 22 i have an m&p pistol in 22 which is magnificent and so it's the same gun and same controls and everything and he's like well it's 22 this is no big deal and then the, the 40 was a little snappier, I got to say. But um, so started him off that way. And then he was, he, you know, we had at 25 yards a little, a little coffee cup, um, the coffee I brought there. And it took him a couple rounds. Um, and then he, he hit the coffee cup and it went, it went flying. And he said, wow, this is cool. This is really neat. So he <laughs> got over the fear of it. And then it was neat. He wants to do more. Um, he's talking to me about inside the waistband versus um, outside the waistband holsters. He's, he's he's applied for his concealed pistol license in the state, which is, boy, to know this guy even a couple months ago. I mean, if you would have said he's going to apply for a concealed pistol license, I would have said no way. And so I'm talking to him about carrying concealed and sort of the mindset that goes with it and the responsibility that goes with it and the the sense of, of, of confidence and calm that goes with it and all of the aspects of it and uh, brand new worlds opening up. So it would be my goal if his uh, fishing poles have dust on them and, um, you know, he's, he's out shooting with me all the time. I think that's a, that's a good result. And his wife and his kids too. 
So you mean Doug, the non-gun guy, a couple months ago, now maybe hasn't transformed into a gun guy, but now he gets it. Yep, he absolutely gets it. He gets it politically, he gets it philosophically, he gets it at the fun level. And um, Wait a minute, what is it that you think he gets? I think he gets that he cannot rely, and to me, I view the world very politically. It's it's kind of, it's what I do and, and what I'm trained for and, and how I see things. Um, it's why the book is written the way it's written. Um, I think he gets that he cannot rely on, on the government um, to protect him because he gets from his business life that the government is just taking stuff from him and they do bad things and, and you know, they're out to, to help people who are dirtbags, um, the government is. And I, I, I'm generalizing a lot, but you understand what I'm saying. And so he gets that this government that's kind of a scam. Um, <laughs> well, you know what, Glenn? Let me tell you what else I think he gets. Tell me what you think. I think he gets the fact that gun control is not about guns. It's about control. Right. He gets the fact that the government wants to control him, just like taxation is a form of control. It's a form of tyranny if it's done too too much. Don't you think he kind of gets the fact that they're wanting to control him? Yeah, and you know, that's right, because the first thing he said to me when he called me was, I get it now, they want to control they want the control. They don't want me to defend my... They want me to rely... And dependent was the word he used. Uh-huh. Be dependent on them for everything, including if somebody comes into my house. Glenn, how do you think we can get more people to do what Doug did? Boy, um, you know, they have to... Oh, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't know the answer, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry I kind of hit you out of the blue with that question, but... Uh, I, that's what I've been scratching my head and racking my brain trying to figure out. How can we create more Dugs in this world? Um, you know, I think a lot of Dugs are going to be created. I'm not sure how to do it. The reason I think a lot of Dugs are being created right now is the, the background stuff. He was, you know, upset that the government was kind of out of control and that's going on in the background every day. Um, you know, there'll be more moments, uh, more overreaching. <laughs> the the thing about the media being completely uh, in the bag um, for the gun control lobby is that the media, in some ways, helps us because you know, 24 hours a day, it's you know all this crying and you know these teddy bears and stuff on TV, and they completely overdo it in the media, and so that kind of tells people like Doug that there's this big wall of gun control coming and everything like that, and so. Um, that is a great question, Bob. I candidly do not I, – I cannot think of an answer to that. Um, there are little things that you can do, like, for example, two years ago, me saying, hey, Doug, let's go shooting sometime. I mean, he knew I was a gun guy um, and, and all of that. So you can plant those seeds and, I guess, be available. And then when they kind of come to you and say, we need to do this, you can say – I mean, I dropped what I was doing this weekend and um, went out and did it and uh, – I think a lot when I have a new shooter, I think a lot about how I'm going to approach him or her um, and I'm going to break them in maybe with 22s and I'm going to say, hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't combat because I've never been in the military and I don't know what combat is. So this isn't like some gung-ho thing. Um, 
um, and you need to shoot people to stop them, and this is serious, and all you know what I mean. The, all the stuff that that we we talk about, and it's on your show and everything. Um, so you need to be ready for Doug's to come to you and um, give him some good instruction and advice, and give him an overview about the arm lifestyle. Um, but as far as what gets him to make that call, I don't know what that is. Well, you, I think you kind of answered it just a minute ago. You said planting seeds. And I think that's what it's all about. You know, you plant seeds. It's like growing a garden. You plant seeds and then you wait for it to germinate and sprout and grow a plant that generates some fruit or generates whatever it's supposed to to grow. It's kind of the same way. And I think if we just start planting seeds in a non-offensive way, I think we'll start to see more dugs come about. Yeah, and I must have been doing a lot of planning because um, I'll tell you, when after the Sandy Hook thing, I'm trying to think now, I've taken out three really close friends and and helped them buy guns um and let me be clear i mean i take them to an ffl right (laughs) yeah and then they pick it out they pick it out and i give them ideas about things and answer their questions about caliber and stuff and and then uh take them out shooting and everything and so yeah i've been surprised at at all the dugs that are out there the three of them that have you know come into my life uh, there's probably going to be more, um, and I welcome it. I'm telling you what, uh, uh, Bob, I just I drop what I'm doing and and take them out on their schedule, and you know that's the main thing: being available, being available, planting planting seeds first, and then being available. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you one more question. Yes. What, so what do you think we're going to end up with, let's say, a year from now in terms of gun control? Just kind of make a little prediction. Where do you think we're going to be at? Um, some states will be horrible, like New York and all of that. Um, some states, like maybe Texas, maybe Wyoming, will have some laws on the books where they're not going – locals will not be assisting the feds. Um, there will be in quite a few states, hopefully not Washington – well, hopefully not anywhere um, – some of these enhanced background things that we were talking about. Um, I think at the national level, um, there will be, um, I really don't think there's going to be enhanced background um, coming out of Congress, but it could. Um, then there'll be all these executive orders that we all know about. Um, and I think prices of ammunition will be coming down, um, magazines um, and, and weapons will be a little more available. Um, prices will still be higher than they ever were because um, they never really go back down to where they were. They always <laughs> like that's gas. right. They only come down halfway or whatever. Um, and uh, we will all be a year from now. We will all be glad things weren't as bad as we thought. There were some bad things, and we will be um, ready uh, for the next. Unfortunately, <laughs> the next tragedy. And every time that there's this big push for gun control, um, more and more people have that conversation with themselves. And I bet you know a lot of your listeners did. Maybe you did too, Bob. But you sit there and you say to yourself, okay, worst case scenario. Well, you live in Texas, so you don't have worst case scenarios when it comes to gun control. <laughs> but, uh, in Washington State, you say to yourself, what happens if there is a law that makes it a felony for me to have this 30-round PMAG I'm holding in my hand? What do I do? And you run through that in your head. And when you have tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in a given state running through that thought in their mind, and they're all going to come to their own conclusions, um, it's not real good um, for a government to have all these people 
coming to these conclusions because the next time something happens, maybe there is some, some even bigger tragedy and maybe there is some kind of ban on standard capacity magazines like 30 rounds. And then maybe there's some laws that are out there. Now you've got all these people who've already made the decision about what they're going to do about that. And um, that is a really bad thing for a government that wants to have the consent of the governed. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about that. Good point. Uh, that's good point. I did not think about that. They want the consent of the governed, but they're already showing that they don't have the consent, and we're very divided. And I, I just like to close up by telling listeners who are listening to this, you know, we're going to have an event like this again. This, this Sandy Hook shooting. I, I'm sorry to say it, but something like this is going to happen again. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen in an elementary school where six-year-olds get shot. I'm just saying that it's, something is going to happen again. And it's not because there are so many firearms on the street. It's because there's a bunch of crazies on the street and a bunch of criminals that we're not doing anything about. We need violence control, not gun control. And that's not what they're addressing. It's going to happen again. And so it begs the question. It begs the question. What are you as a listener going to do? And what do you think that the government in your state is going to do and the federal government? That's, that's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? It is. It is. And um, a lot of people had those really, really soul-searching, heavy analysis they were doing. And uh, once you do that and you come to your own conclusions um, – it's kind of hard to go back to just saying everything's okie dokie and you know nothing bad can ever happen when you've had those thoughts and you've played it out. Um, yeah, it changes everything for the next time. Well, one more question before I let you go: Do you think that Americans are pretty much voting with their wallets right now when we see the massive amounts of firearms and ammunition being purchased and the amount of concealed carry licenses being applied for? Do, do you think they're that's that's in a way that's how they're voting? Absolutely. At, yeah, call it a mid midterm election, right? Um, it's it's what Doug is doing. Um, he got a concealed pistol license, and he bought a gun, and he bought a bunch of ammunition, and all that other stuff. It absolutely is, and it's one of the few things you can measure out there, especially with uh, you know the background checks and everything they do. So we know the number of um, of I should say the number of firearms being sold by FFLs. Um, we know that because of the thing. So it's something you can track. Um, it's, it's massive and, and you know, the numbers, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. There's no way if, if everything was going okay. And most people in this country weren't very, very concerned about some bad things happening. There's absolutely no way you would be seeing these numbers of firearms purchases and concealed uh, carry. <laughs> very good point. Very good point. It's got to show that there is some worry in the minds of Americans. Exactly right. You're probably seeing, you're, you're an instructor, you're probably seeing no shortage of students for your classes. That's one way of, of looking at this. Um, people People are concerned. The I won't go into the other two because I know we're wrapping up. But the other two of the three people that I've taught to to shoot, um, not only are they not gun people, but they're not the kind of people that would ever really think they'd ever own a gun. I mean, it was even more of a of a difference than than Doug. And so, if folks like that, I mean, these are like people you might even think 
maybe even looking at them might even be gun control kind of people. Um, if they're out getting guns for the first time, um, it's really, really out there and, and broad and diffuse. And um, I, think it's, I think it's healthy. That part of it has been very, very healthy. Well, you're right, Glenn. There's no shortage of students for uh, our classes. As a matter of fact, our March 2nd class coming up in Dallas is already sold out. We, we, we simply cannot handle, Ben and I cannot handle any more students. We want to keep it a safe class where everybody gets good personal instruction, so we cut it off at a certain number. Uh, and I'm not trying to brag. It's just that there's a lot of people. And San Antonio, uh, which is over a month away, is almost sold out. There's one or two spots in that. All the concealed carry instructors that I'm talking about, which, by the way, I'm going to be one of them within a couple of weeks. I'll be a Texas CHL instructor. They all have completely full classes. Exactly right. I keep track with the uh, the parking lot at uh, one of the two ranges I go to, and uh, it used to be empty, and now it's full. Some people at this range wait up to two hours on a Sunday um, to, to shoot for a half an hour. I've never seen anything like it. So no, no matter how you count it, how you look at it, whether it's actual government statistics or whether it's anecdotal stuff like this, uh, there's never been um, more interest and emphasis on firearms and self-defense than there is right now. And that ought to tell everybody something. You're not crazy. If you're listening to this show and you're a gun guy and you're saying, geez, am I overdoing it? Am I just getting freaked out? I don't think you're overdoing it because no. – neighbors are doing the same thing it's funny even though we don't have an election before us people are voting they're voting with their wallets they're voting with their feet they're they're buying guns they're getting training they're buying ammunition which is why we can't find anything and when you do it's two and a half times what it used to cost uh people are worried i think you're right i think you hit the nail on the head glenn and i think that's a good way to to stop here is that people are worried they're they're very, very concerned that, that something is likely to happen. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, good. Glenn, thanks. This, is, this has been a terrific discussion. As always, I hope you keep... Oh, hey, I, I was going to ask you. My wife wanted me to ask you this question next time I talk to you. When do the next books come out? <laughs> oh, great. Um, we were releasing them in two book sets. Uh, there was one and two and three and four. And um, now we, so many people are reading these books... Um, the publisher and editors um, want to make them really, really good because there's a bigger audience. It's, it's, <laughs> which I, you know, wholeheartedly approve of. Yeah, so, I'm sure you do. And uh, so, book five to answer your question is coming out. Just five, not five and six. Five is coming out in late March. Another reason we're taking more time with five is that we took. We looked at five, and it was kind of a, a thinner book, and we didn't really like that. I mean, people pay us hard-earned money for these things and so we want to deliver something that's you know a value so we took some of the chapters from six and added them to five and when you do that a bunch of timelines and a bunch of internal references that all change and so it took more time to edit it so the long-winded answer is book five comes out in late march but there's a reason for the delay and uh I think book five, it's so far my favorite book, and it wasn't going into this, but the changes we made and the chapters we added, um, it's really, it's you're going to love it. So, yeah, it's, it's nice. Terrific. Glenn, thank you, as always, for the time. Looking forward to having you on again. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Well, thank you, Glenn. Excellent discussion. Um, you know, it's 
pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting some of the different scenarios that he thinks is going to play out. I uh, that really got me thinking when I was doing that interview, and uh, ever since then, that interview there is about five days old. You know, for you it's brand new. For me, it's about five days old. So I've had five days to think about what he's been saying, and uh, it's just kind of a kind of an interesting thing to think about there. And uh, hopefully, you might have a little bit better insight. Get active. You know, your right to protect yourself is a God-given right that is protected by the United States Constitution, if you are a United States citizen. Get active, folks. Please do not be complacent. Please do not be complacent. What I mean when I say get active, write your senators, your congressmen, your state and local officials. Let them know how you feel. Okay, if you like what I do on this show, if you benefit from the information I share, if you wouldn't mind supporting the show, I'd appreciate that. There are bills that have to be paid, and uh, I spend a pretty decent amount of time putting this out, so I don't mind doing it and putting it out there for you to download for free. If Every once in a while, if you don't mind supporting the show, that would be helpful. I do have Glenn Tate talking about building a prepper team on a special interview. He talks about part two of that excellent interview that he gave me on how to put together a team of people that you can rely on if the stink hits the fan. That's pretty interesting stuff there. And also John Neusser, who is an emergency room technician and also a, uh, a firearms trainer, talks about how he trains for self-defense. And my good friend Wade in Louisiana talks about herbs and how to use herbs for nutritional and some minor medicinal purposes. And my friend Matt Chusnick, who's a blacksmith and a knife and tool sharpener, gave me a great interview on how to sharpen knives and sharpen tools and how to maintain tools and knives and things like that. Uh, Matt Brasick with Midwest Disaster Medical up in Wisconsin. Matt, I hope you're listening to this. I'm giving you a shout out. He's got a um, uh, disaster medical school up in Wisconsin called Midwest Disaster Medical. Uh, search that and go to his website and check it out. He talked about first aid. So this is all part of the Survival Champions Club. It's a special podcast program that I've put together that you can purchase. It'll help support the show. The most recent podcast, the one with Glenn Tate and the one with John Neusser, the most recent are available to you. You can get them both for $40 or $25 each. If you want some of the older ones with Wade in Louisiana on herbs and and, uh, Matt Chusnick here in Texas on knife and tool sharpening and Matt Brasick, if you want some of those older ones, email me. Uh, Those are $60 to get all three of those. And, of course, like I said, the proceeds will help support the show. You can invest through PayPal. You'll see a link at todayssurvival.com to get the most recent two Survival Champions Club podcasts. You can use that link. And, again, email me, Bob, at todayssurvival.com if you're interested in some of the older ones. And if you want to get Glenn's book, well, there's four of them out right now. If you want to get one or two or all four Go to todayssurvival.com and click the recommended books link. I have a recommended books link at todayssurvival.com. 
and you'll see an Amazon link there. You'll see a picture of his book in an Amazon link. Click that. Go into my Amazon store and please order his book through my Amazon store. I will get a small commission. Check out my Everyday Carry store while you're on my website, my EDC store. You'll see some of the items that I carry every day, uh, some survival things, uh, survival items that I like to promote and I like to use. You'll see some of them there. If you shop on Amazon, you can support my show at the same time just by clicking any of the links in any of my store pages at todayssurvival.com. And I'll earn a small commission on what you buy. And that's another way you can support the show and give back a little bit, if you don't mind. All right, that's it, folks. Um, Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Please tell a friend about this show. If you know somebody that doesn't mind listening to a common sense prepper like me, please tell them about my show. Thanks again, folks. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.